This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. This is the Flipped Edition of Politically Georgia. I'm Patricia Murphy, and we have flipped this show around because this is about Greg Bluestein's new book, Flipped. Well, As a matter I... of fact, though, I need to do the just back off, host. I'm going to do the entire title of your book, Flipped, How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power. It is available in bookstores March 22nd on Amazon and all platforms where you get your books, including Audible. Is there an Audible book? Yes. There isn't. There's an Audible book. Okay. Well, that's exciting. I want to ask you about that. Uh, we haven't started the show yet, though, Greg. As a quick reminder, if you're listening to us for the first time and you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes come out every Wednesday and Friday of Politically Georgia. So, Greg, welcome to the show. I'm in charge because I'm interviewing you about your book, Flipped, which I'm super excited about. And I think we're going to give our listeners a really cool sort of behind-the-scenes look of how this book came about because they're going to hear a lot about um, the content of the book in other interviews. I think they're going to hear a lot about your take on how the last two elections happened and what to expect. That's going to be, I think, most of what your interviews are about. But today we're going to talk about really just how this book got started and um, your process of doing it, because I've heard from a lot of um, readers who want to know. I certainly, as a book aficionado, and I've read the book, um, uh, really want to know as well. So welcome to your podcast, Greg. (laughs) Thanks. And (laughs) I'll say before we start that Patricia came up with the title. Oh, we, remember you. we were talking about different things and it, you know my, my working title at first was how the peach date turned purple and our publishers found a reason that, that that was you know they didn't like that exact wording but you I think it was you you said yeah it was, well it was 100% you but I, I can't remember how it came about you said you should just have a really short word at the yes. front maybe flipped I think it's because of my short attention span I like books with <laughs> one word <laughs> So, like betrayal or treason. And so I'm like, Greg, you've got to have like one word, one really cool word. So I thought flipped kind of gets to the point of what's happened in Georgia. And what's interesting about politics that flip one way, they can always flip back another. So, and I think that's one of the themes of your books. Exactly. (laughs) Flipped two coming soon to your bookstores as well. Um, So, Greg, take us inside how this happened. When did you decide to write a book sometimes I feel like people always think they have a book in their heads but when did you decide to write this book and how did it happen that it that you connected with the publisher how does all that work yeah well the first time I really wanted to write a book was way back when I covered the Troy Davis execution and at the time it was the biggest story in the nation the really one of the biggest stories in the world 
Um, there was a question about whether Troy Davis, who was convicted of, of killing a, um, a police officer, there was a real legitimate question about whether or not he actually did it. And uh, I remember after I covered his execution, I come out and I was, in, I was kind of newer in reporting. It was a couple years after I graduated from college. And I come out and there's a bank of maybe 30 TV cameras. And one of them is like from the Australian's morning version of Good Morning America. So the Good Morning Australia. And we're live. And it's like 1 a.m. in the morning, by the way. You know, the executions in Georgia take place really late at night. And we're live. And, um, and I kind of looked around and I was like, wow, there's so much interest in this. And I knew a lot about that case because I had been covering it for years. And so I said, you know, maybe there's a book here. And then I was told, by the way, it takes a long time to write the book. <laughs> it takes, uh, one of the agents I talked to is basically like, if you had the book already, if you had the manuscript already done, then maybe. But by the time this comes out, you know. This is not an overnight process. It's not an overnight process. Um, so I kept that in mind all these years. And as Georgia's election got tighter and tighter and tighter in 2020, and it looked like the Democrats, you know, who were once seen as long shots, could, might actually um, uh, might actually flip the state. It became it looked to me at least it could be more of a reality. I thought about writing a book in 2018, and I'd already gotten some some you know summaries and some of the basic groundwork together because the 2018 election cycle was so crazy in Georgia. Um, but when the outcome wasn't a surprise, in a sense, right, when, when, when the Republican in a Republican-controlled state wins, you know, it's not as, it's not as easily easy to sell to publishers and, and agents and all that. Um, fast forward to the end of 2020, when shortly after the election, we're in the middle of this runoff cycle, and um, I started getting, um, you know, we're both going crazy, right? There's stories to write, there's all this interest nationally in, in, in our coverage. Uh, we're both on TV a lot. Yeah. I, I think it's the busiest I've ever been. Yeah. was that 2020 and then the 2021 runoffs. The entire 2020, right? I mean, yeah. we're writing stories that I, I, I'll never, you know, that's a year we'll never forget because we had the confluence of three epic stories at the same time. Um, the pandemic, where we're writing stories that basically life and death to people, right? closing their businesses, closing their schools. Um, we're writing about the 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 protest for social, the social justice movement, right? Um, and we're writing about the most epic election cycle that we've ever seen in Georgia, at least in our life. And they were all connected to each all other. All connected to each other. So I get this call from, from a very aggressive young agent named Justin. And um, he said, look, I really think you have a book here. And I said, look, it's, it's like <laughs> Thanksgiving. So crazy. Yeah. I was like, look, it's Thanksgiving. And we've got, you know, six more weeks. And I do, I do too. Like, I am a workhorse. I also think there's a book here but I don't know how I'm going to do it. Um, and he says, I will walk you through the book proposal process. Um, I will help you with it. Um, because the book proposal process is not just like a three-page summary of what no. you write. It's a very intense process. And I said, Justin, I like that idea. Um, you know, and this, not only was it a holiday, but we were still working crazy. You know, Every was, day, all yeah, day. All, and there uh, were events seven days a week. There was no break. I'm surprised you had time to call him back, actually. Yeah, so... <laughs> I, I told him, I said, look, you know, December, I think it was December 3rd or 4th was when Trump had his first big visit, and it was a huge story. And the very next day, um, and that was down in Valdosta, 
And were you there that one too? No, you went from Savannah to Valdosta and we knew there was not going to be internet coverage really down there. And so I stayed back to do the live blog from Atlanta so that at least we knew if you did not have internet access, somebody would tell readers what happened. That is a fact of life with Trump rallies that you're not sure. And I've been to many Trump rallies where there's no internet access. So, um, so I was driving from Savannah to Valdosta and then the next morning driving back up to Atlanta to moderate panel that debate, the one debate, um, that, that between the runoff candidates, the one that David Perdue didn't show up for, um, but Ossoff, Leffler, and Warnock all showed for yeah. their respective debates. And I said, I've got to get through that debate first, but then I can you know, really buckle down and, and talk to you about And that debate was covered also by CNN. Did NBC pick it up as well? It had some massive amount of yeah, coverage. Yeah, that was available because it was through Atlanta Press Club and GPB. That was available for anyone who wanted to simulcast yeah. it. So was, it had that something was a huge like lift. six or seven million views. Yeah. It was simulcast both on Fox and CNN because it was such an important debate. It was the only cha- time that the candidates, at least most of them, got together. Um, and this was for control of the Senate. Everyone knew it by then. Um, so after that debate, um, and I'd already checked with some of our higher-ups at the AJC because – I had never done this before. I called the agent back, Justin. He's great. And I just talked to him earlier today. And so he is your agent. He is Justin agent. got the job. Justin okay, got, oh, yeah, Justin got the job. And then we talked about what it would entail. And writing a book proposal is like a five-step process where there's an introduction and there's a market analysis and there's a why you should be writing this book and then there's sample chapters and then there's the conclusion. Yeah, you want to be able to tell publishers this as close as possible. This is the book you're buying from me yes. if you hire me to do this. And that is, to me, it's the hardest part about writing a book. Well, I got in my head, and this was early December, and I got in my head that I wanted publishers to see this right before the runoffs, January 5th. So I told Justin, I was like, I will have this done by New Year's Eve. That's crazy. Um, and so over the next however many days, I wrote a 90-page, it was an 89-page book proposal. Um where, you know, I had an introduction and that was basically the market analysis and the why you should do this was, was fairly easy because it was like the market analysis is Georgia's going to be, it is not a, it's not a well, I didn't have to spend months researching mm-hmm. it. It was Georgia's going to be a battleground state for a while. Uh, and here's why I should do this. Um, but there was, of course, the sample chapters, you know, where out of, I basically had to chart out the book. And that's when I said, okay, I've already done some of the some of the basic, very basic groundwork for the for the for the 2018 section, and I felt like it. The first section needed to go back in the 2018 election because um, Stacey Abrams was so involved in that. And really, if you look at that entire cycle, so was John Ossoff. That's where John Ossoff Absolutely. came out of nowhere. So the book starts with Stacey and John Ossoff um, as sort of the through lines, and then the second section um, goes into the the um, 2020 cycle up into the November election of 2020. And then the third section is all about the runoffs because there is enough in the runoffs just to write a book just on the runoffs, right? I mean, the runoffs were the craziest nine weeks of our lives. And, and it also feels like that election has never even come to a complete stop. So uh, the fact that your book is hitting now to me is, it's just, there's so much still to talk about. It's crazy. I had one quick question. Was it your decision to go all the way back to 2018 or did the publisher tell you what they wanted? It was, you know, I'm glad you asked because mo- I, I, I think this is the rule of thumb is, you know, me and the agent worked on the, on the proposal and he had a lot of feedback about certain words and about, you know, where I can kind of say, here I'll digress into X, Y, Z and where I should kind of delve in deeper. But they kind of let the authors run with it. And so um, after I wrote that proposal, um, the agent wrote 
a bunch of publishers saying, because they're all going on vacation for Christmas. Of course. Yeah. Um, so they wrote, uh, around mid-December, he wrote to a bunch of publishers saying, hey, when you guys get back, there will be a proposal from Greg Bluestein of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about the election cycle that you're all watching. Look at Justin. What a whippersnapper. He's good. To man. get that out there. He's good. So we got that. And then I, meanwhile, like furiously scrambled. I remember literally about to go to um, our New Year's Eve dinner at a hibachi place um, and finishing like the last kind of line. To finish the, the proposal. The f- proposal. Okay. I was going to get it in by the deadline and I hit the deadline. And I don't, you know, Justin wasn't hardcore about that, right? It, it could have come in a day or two after that. But no, I wanted it in by that December 31st because I had set the deadline in my in my head and I got it into him. Um, and then all the publishers kind of see it January, whatever that is, third. That first week. Uh-huh. So right in the middle of the election cycle. Um, it was two days before the runoffs. Two days before the runoffs, three days before the insurrection. Wow. Um, and then a week later is when we had um, interviews. And again, I never got. Did through you this go process. to New York, or what? How'd you do it from my living room? Because back then, <laughs> you still had. This was still COVID. And I think this is the. I think this is kind of the mo right now. Still, I think that now, like now that people realize how easy it is to do Zoom interviews, because we just banged out a bunch of interviews. Yeah. Um, and I think, if I remember correctly, there was interviews with, I might have been six or seven different publishers, um, and one of them was, you know, someone who was on the subway and I could barely hear her. And <laughs> Do you feel like she was really listening to you? <laughs> uh, she made an offer on the book, so she okay. must have liked it. So yes. But um, but I couldn't really hear her well. And then it went from it ranged from that to like a very in-depth interview with, with, with some of the others who were asking very drilled down questions about what do you think of David Perdue's decision to X, Y, Z, or what is Kelly Leffler like? I mean, these were New York or LA or even there was a few London publishers and they were fascinated by this race and it was really neat to see um their interest from them because they knew what they were talking about you know they had been tuned into georgia because everyone had been tuned into georgia oh that's crazy they probably had even seen you on cnn or msnbc they knew that you were the one talking about georgia out there um and it strikes me it's so unusual for a single state's politics to be uh, to have national or international interest so it's such a such an ideal time for all of this to be coalescing and the only other state I can really think about is what's the matter with Kansas Mm -hmm. when Kansas went into Republican hands and a you know it was a it was a it was certainly from a from a political perspective it was the Democrats saying why in the world has Kansas gone Republican but that was the one book that I can really think of that is similar in this way that a single state's uh, politics have such national implications and and what's unique too is that you know as we no, because we lived through it and we covered it, was that this was not some fluke or some overnight. We'll see in November, of course, if um, things start changing, but um, in terms of you know, who wins and who loses. But this was not some overnight quick change. This was years and years of work. And it wasn't because Republicans weren't trying because they it's not like they were caught sleeping at the wheel, right? Okay, so we're going to get into um, the publisher that you went with and a little bit behind the scenes about how you put that book together, Greg. This is the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. 
Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back with Greg Bluestein. I have taken over the Politically Georgia podcast. This is Patricia Murphy. And Greg, we talked a little bit about how you put your book proposal together. You um, submitted that proposal to publishers, did your interviews, and then tell us how you how it came to be the publisher that you went with. Yeah, so then there's something, at least in this case, there was an auction. Um, Ooh. Yeah, it sounds, wow. like, it sounds like there's someone banging <laughs> Is it a gavel. silent auction, or do they, like, yell at each other? Yeah, it sounds like there's someone <laughs> from Texas who's like, but no, it was... Um, We've got one book going for $2. <laughs> basically, what happens is um, the different um, parties, all the, the, the... I think it was six or seven. There was, might have been seven people who different publishers who um, who interviewed me, and of the seven, six were interested. So all but one was oh interested. Gosh. The one who wasn't interested kind of wanted me to go in a completely different direction. So I was not, I was okay. Oh, yeah. And by the way, these interviews, you're also interviewing them. So they're asking all these in-depth questions about Georgia and politics, but you're also saying, okay, how would you, how do you see this process going? What do you think? What did you like about my proposal? What did you not like about Can you ask them, like, are you going to give me a publicity budget? Like, do they tell you those things ahead of time? Th- that's kind of part of their pitch too. It's kind of like, you know, we, we have the biggest publishing house in the nation and we have all these people that can help do blah, 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 right? That, that is part of their pitch as well as they, as the, as in the middle of the interview. Um, so uh, the interviews happened and it was maybe a couple days later and I remember because I was at a lunch, I took that week off and I was at a lunch with, with sources for the book um, yeah, you were working during that vacation. I oh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's was, just make that clear. I was at a lunch though with sources and um, and the and the silent auction was we were supposed to have the final bids in at two o'clock that Friday, and I get the text in the middle of lunch. Um, it's actually going to be pushed to three because someone else wants more time, and so I was like, I, I think that's good. <laughs> but the beauty of this is that I, I can you know I'm sure, super naive. I've never gone through this process before. Um, all I knew is that I had written a 90-page proposal, and I gave it my best pitch. And so I get home, um, and the agent calls me. And the agent's the one handling all these different back and forth. And it's not like bidding for a house. You, make your, you basically make your best offer, and you have no idea what other people are offering. It's not like the agent. In so this there's case, not a bidding war for Greg Bluestein. In this case, the agent's not like, hey, we want X amount of money, and you know, whoever gets to it first. I don't know. Maybe some other things are like that, but it, this is, that's what the auction okay. process is. And each of the different interested parties make their best bid. And I think if, it, if they're really close to each other, you can kind of go back to them. But if they're not, um, you just go with, you know, you, you go with whatever bid you want to go with. And in this case, um, the agent called me and he goes, um, hey, the good news is you've got a book. Um, you, got, you got this many offers. And he said, the first, the person who I could barely hear on the phone, she made an offer at whatever it was. And, and then he kept on going. Um, with here's the other offers and I wasn't I had very low I mean I was not I had very low expectations I basically told my wife I was like hey look you know 
You're not going to see me, and it's not. Well, I was, be worth I was it. like, I might be in the basement for a while, <laughs> no matter what, because I just, I really want to do this. I was really excited. And um, Viking, an editor named Rick Cott, who's who is really great and one very of the, well known, very Rick well Cott. known. Yeah. And one of the things he told me doing our interview, and it made me feel really good, was basically he's seen it all. Like that, that he even had to basically. Anyway, he said he's seen it all, and that he's had to rescue books from <laughs> from writers that might not have met deadline and things like that. Anyway, whatever he said, I can't remember exactly his phrasing, but it was very inspiring because I was very nervous about writing a book for the first time. And even though I live and die by deadlines in the back of my mind, I was like, what if, you know, I've got to hit these deadlines. I've got to make this happen. And Rick was, um, Rick made a great offer in the book, um, was really easy to work with. And I accepted the offer and was very excited because Viking is an imprint of Penguin Random House, which is massive yes. book publishing, the biggest in the in the world, I think, at this point. And I know there's all sorts of mergers and stuff going on, but really a big team behind him. And basically Rick was like, congratulations, go do your thing. And then I was like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you calling and be like, my editor didn't really tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. Um, but so, so Greg, so you get your book deal. Did you have like a glass of champagne or something? <laughs> A lot of restaurants were still closed then, and because it's funny, because this was <laughs> yeah. early 2021, vaccines were just coming out. So we went to City Barbecue, and I barely talked, which is not me. So it was my family. We all, yeah. we all went with the family. I think we had a little party with some friends a couple of days later, but um, it was right before the inauguration of Joe Biden. And so we were. I remember being on the phone with think with you later on that day. Like, are you going to go to DC? Yeah. And you ended up not going, but I was like, I'm going to go. Because um, I wanted to see, you know, I wanted to be there, and I also wanted to catch up with people in D.C. Um, but, um, yeah, we went to City Barbecue in Sandy Springs. It was very low-key, and I didn't talk the whole time, barely, to my kids and my wife, because I was, like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, what am I doing <laughs> I gotta now? Get my, I got to get chapter two going. Um, so, now, once you've gotten the book deal, I want to make it clear to, uh, to our listeners, you did not really take a book leave. I think you might have taken a couple of days off. Um, but I have never really seen anybody do a book as quickly as you did from scratch. It's not like you were just cobbling together a bunch of previous articles. You did a ton of original reporting for the book. You went back and re-interviewed people and um, did it all while you were still working <laughs> for the AJC and cranking out a ton of copy. So once you get the book deal, had you made a list of people to interview? How did you yeah. decide to start to approach that? Because I know you talked to a lot of people again um, to sort of do fresh reporting for the book. Yeah, so I went to inauguration to kind of get away from, you know, just to get away from everything for a little while and cover the biggest story and, and the sort of the culmination of exactly. all that we've been running. I bet that's a scene in the book. Yeah, and getting and getting mm -hmm. to see Ossoff and Warnock um, sworn in, all these years of covering both of them, um, uh, writing about what was happening behind the scenes as well. Um, anyway, report all that, and then set up a meeting with the publishers um, for the day after I got back that Friday, where um, I just said, hey, guys, like, I'm freaking out a little bit, <laughs> you know? Um because you kind of think that there's this entire, you know, there, there'll be this team that's working on it and going over which chapter should go first and which intro you should use. And Rick, this editor, was great because he says, look, we bought the book because we loved your proposal. 
what you wrote in the proposal. Just go do that. Go do that. Yeah. Like, like that's what we, you know, we, we didn't need to go have this major strategic session or meet with a team of people. I just imagine this like special ops team kind of flying down. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. These are surgical The strikes. cavalry never came. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't, I mean, he, Rick was like, hey, you know, we had faith in you. You're, you'll be great. That was kind of his message. We're not worried. Um, go do your thing. You know, and again, I have to remember, too, that a lot of publishers are used to not maybe not working all the time with journalists. Like, yeah. we're, we're used to writing on deadline. We're used to doing this. Um, so I had the I had this 90-page proposal as sort of the backbone. And then I scout, scouted out, uh, scratched out um, summaries of each chapter. And um, very shorthand notes. Like, honestly, like the same notes I keep on my phone for stories that I need to write. Okay. Like, like, sometimes it's just one word, but it triggers a memory mm-hmm. somewhere inside here. Um, you have <laughs> about, a much better memory than uh, I do. Sometimes. I have to write this stuff down. But I need that one word sometimes. Like for the jolt, I'll yeah. just put like on our planner, I'll just put communist. And I'll know what communist <laughs> I'll be is. like, which communist was that? <laughs> <laughs> so I had this kind of giant summary um, scratched out of, and then what I do is I'd go and interview. I interviewed something like 220 people and interviewed all these people. But you were interviewing principals. I mean, you were going yes. to the top of the ticket. These were not sort of like just background interviews with low-level staffers. Yeah. Did you approach people and say, I've got a book. Yep. I'd like to talk to you. And would you be, were they more candid this time around than they were in the moment? Yeah. One of the things that helped was saying that we're, I was writing a book. So the day of Biden's inauguration, we tweeted out that I was writing a book. And we let, there was some like um, this insidery publication blog that covers who's writing books. And so they kind of broke the news and we got it in a few of the Politico type newsletters. Um, but that got the word out and that actually helped a lot because everyone in the political world knew that I was writing a book. Mm-hmm. And so there were some people who came to me and said, Hey, I've got this great anecdote. Oh my I've got gosh. This, this shameless. That yeah, is right? shameless. Oh, but it was great. I mean, <laughs> stuff, stuff that ended up in making the book, you know, of course a lot of stuff didn't make the book. Yep. Uh, I would do hour, hours long interviews and maybe get one line Yeah. or I would do a 10 minute interview and use it in three or four different chapters. So, you know, it's just, just same thing with reporting. Um, I would keep these exhaustive files and there'd be days when I would take off work and take, do days of like 25 interviews, you know, just bang, 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 bang. And of course I would have to go back sometimes, but in the end of the day, and these interviews would go till sometimes 9 PM mm-hmm. at the end of the day, no matter how tired I was, because I, I knew I had to do it. I would make summaries of the interviews. Oh my gosh. And, and then, so, and then bold what I wanted to use so I could just at least trigger the memory. Okay. I hope our aspiring book writers are out there listening to the discipline the involved in this process. I don't know if this is the best way, but that's what I do. I make these summaries and then I'd bold what I wanted to take out. And then I'd go to this other file that I had of the general, very broad outline. And I'd say, you know, so-and-so's remark here could go into this chapter. And so-and-so's remark here could go into that chapter. So I had all this. And then again, maybe I'm crazy, but I set out, really strict deadlines for myself. I wanted to finish the first section by the end of February, the second section by the end of March, and the third section by the end, I think it was end of, or mid-May. That mm-hmm. was what I said. And and um, and then after the end of the second first section, I was like, wow, I need a vacation. <laughs> so, because I was still working the job, and this job was still, as you well know, very busy, um, because the days would still be like covering this. Um, nights, uh, after the kids were in bed, and, and I'm, a, I'm a night owl, as you know, um, I'm the opposite of you. And yes. my wife is probably like you too in terms of she goes to bed earlier and wakes up early. So I would be working at night till you know, easily till one or two. Mm. 
um, putting together the stuff. And my brain is very active at night, so it wasn't like I was groggy. I was cool. I was fine. My brain is very turned off at night. I don't have that problem. But you're up in the mornings. And so at night when I was up, no one was bothering me. My kids weren't yep. whining. I wasn't getting texts from a million different sources about whatever. I wasn't getting, my friends weren't bugging me about whatever the Braves were doing. It was great. <laughs> so I could just focus on, um, on the book and just slog away. And I also knew that the, all those deadlines I was just talking about, I knew that those chapters weren't, those sections weren't going to be perfect because I still had time to go back and gloss them over. Okay. So I finished the substantial part of the book, May, and then I kind of took off a couple weeks. I said, I'm not going to touch this. I'm just going to get away from it. Um, because my deadline for actually turning in the book wasn't until September or something, if I remember correctly. And um, so then I knew that in June and July, I could go back, gloss over, do more interviews. All the while, I'm doing more interviews. All the while, I'm fact-checking. All the while, I'm going back. Um, and of course, the story is still unfolding. I had not written the uh, the epilogue until like September. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. You were sort of still reporting your book in real time, which does not happen very often. Yeah. And some of it was in-person visits um, to some of the sources. Some of them were on the phone. Some of them were Zoom calls. Um, the beauty of it was also so many people, I'm here in Georgia. So I would bump into sources at other events and I'd pull them aside and say, hey, like, by the way, um, can we talk later on about X, Y, Z? And um, there was a lot of people who wanted to share a lot. And um, it can be therapeutic can to be talk therapeutic. to a reporter after the fact sometimes. Yeah, and some people had a lot, you know, a lot to be happy about. Some people didn't, yeah. right? Depending on what political persuasion you are. Um, so that, that was a, a, a lot of fun, actually. And, you know, get, getting to write about the biggest story of our reporting careers, not just the election, but all the other things, because the social justice movement's at the heart of it. John Lewis dies in, mm -hmm. in the middle of the 2020 campaign. Um, of course, the pandemic uh, being not just front and center nationally, but, you know, Donald Trump came to Georgia to tour the CDC the same day that Raphael Warnock qualified to run for office. So you had all this convergence, and guess what? Me and you had a front row seat to all of it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're not going to get into the content of the book because people need to read the book. They're also going to hear a lot of other interviews with you about the book. Um, but did you, did you have candidates or principals who saw things differently in retrospect? Or was there even anything that when you went back and looked at 2018, 2019, 2020, with, like, with fresh eyes, with, with 2020 hindsight, were there things that were different than you remembered? That's interesting because, you know, a lot of the events I cover, especially the main, the big moments, covering the book, I was also there as a reporter. Yeah. Um, but we're not getting the full picture as a reporter at the time, right? We are writing the, you know, the first draft of history. Um, but it was really neat to go behind the scenes and get more details about those events, what led to those events. Um, as you said, look at them with fresh eyes, um, how they fit into the greater strategy, um, you know, how things can spiral out of control. Yes. You know, I, we're talking about the CDC visit. That was one of the most awkward moments of the campaign because in that moment you had David Perdue, Oh my God. Kelly Leffler, Brian Kemp, and Donald Trump. I can't remember if Collins was there off the top of my head. Collins anyway, was there. He was there. Yes. So he had all of them in this like third floor of the CDC lab. It was supposed to be a very brief remarks from the former pre from the then president. Instead, he took a 45 minutes worth of questions. At one point, Purdue <laughs> kind of gets bored. I, I don't know if the word is bored, but he kind of gets antsy. He sees me. He walks to the back of the room, comes and shakes my hand and gabs with me for a few minutes in the middle of this, of this Q&A session, then walks back. Um, Brian Kemp 
can't stay. I mean, he has other, I don't know what the business was. Um, I, I can't remember if I even got that for the book. I, I know I didn't put it in the book, but he had some, somewhere else to yeah. be, like some legitimate, because there was a pandemic going on. So he leaves, right? But it was this unique moment where you had all these major players who were sort of rivals, but would definitely end up being rivals, all with President Trump at the same time. And you couldn't have known in the moment all the directions that that was going to go on. And we didn't know then, in the way that we know now, the kind of bad blood that already existed yes. on Donald Trump's part toward Brian Kemp, or even on David Perdue's part toward Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp has still kept it pretty close to this. We don't know who he was mad at in that room. <laughs> but we know that there were all of these sort of backstories that I'm sure you were able to unpack in the book in retrospect, that we did not know about at the time. One of my favorite parts of the book is actually going to the backstories of 2018, right? Writing about Ossoff's decision to run. Writing about um, the clash between Brian Kemp and Casey Cagle. Writing about Karen Handel um, getting in a car in the middle of the campaign and disappearing down to Macon, <laughs> right? Just writing about these stories uh, of the biggest elections. It wasn't like these elections weren't getting tons of attention. I mean, the, the, the race between Ossoff and Karen Handel was the biggest thing going on in 2017 it was the first test of donald trump but it's really fun kind of going back because i was there for covering that for the ajc but i was able to say you know with fresh eyes as you mentioned what was going on in your mind i talked to casey cagle for a while he's quoted extensively in the book um i, I go i try to delve into the psyches of david Perdue, of stacy abrams of brian kemp of all those players in those elections well uh, I was at Ossoff's. It was supposed to be a victory party in 2018. It ended up being a a loser party. I'm sorry to say that, but he lost. Who could have known in that moment that John Ossoff would then go on to be a U.S. senator just two years later? And so I feel like those are all the crazy twists and turns. That's just one of the crazy twists and turns that Georgia politics takes over the course of your book. Um, so I'm going to encourage all of our listeners, if you haven't already ordered Flipped, I encourage you to uh, go ahead, order it, buy it, and read it. Because for me, it has been, um, even for a, a campaign that I covered, it has been a terrific read. Um, and you. I learned a lot about what I didn't know at the time, which um, it's amazing what none of us really knew. Well, it's <laughs> available on. online. It's available at every bookseller, even you name it, Target, Barnes & Nobles, everywhere, independent bookstores, of course. And as you said earlier, there's even an audiobook. They asked me if I want to record it. They said it would take something like 20 to 30 hours, maybe even more. I said, I can't even hear myself talk. For, for <laughs> <laughs> even, Wait, so who did it? Um, a world-famous voice actor did it. And all, all that readers, listeners, would be surprised because I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But um, an award-winning voice actor um, recorded it, and asked me very few questions about um, how to um, pronounce certain people's last names. Oh. So every so often I get like, hey, uh, you know, <laughs> how do you pronounce so-and-so's last name? And I'd, go I'd quickly text it's someone. Leffler. Yeah, yeah. Leffler. Not Loeffler. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, some names of aides or activists or, or others. Because that's a part, look, we, we talked to all the political um, candidates and the big names, but one of the things I wanted to do is talk to the on-the-ground activists, the volunteers, um, from both parties, from from both from all political persuasions, who really fueled this flip. 
Okay. Well, Greg, good luck with the book launch. I know you actually have a pretty cool little book tour coming up. You're going to be up in Washington and uh, you have some other stops along the way. You have a few stops in Atlanta um, where people can uh, probably follow your Twitter feed and find out where they can come see you um, talking about Flipped. And that's all the time we have for today's Politically Georgia podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, do all of those things you're supposed to do for podcasts because this little podcast needs it. And we will uh, catch up with you guys for the next episode on Friday. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,